Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Measure, I hope you recognize that you are as well. Hopefully my voice is going to hold up. I've been singing in the car earlier today. This Bethel music album, this victory album that's come out has uh, taken me down. Got to be more patient with my voice and stop singing quite as often. We're going to have some fun tonight on the program. Tomorrow, 1 o'clock, right here on 104.5 The Zone, the, uh, the Vault Network coverage of Tennessee and Kentucky, the rematch down in Knoxville. I'll be there. So Tennessee escaped Ole Miss on the road on Wednesday night. Kermit Davis goes full-on WCW Monday Nitro, 1999 Nature Boy Ric Flair, tossing his jacket in disgust after a non-called charge on the final heave from the Rebels. And thank goodness he stopped channeling Ric Flair immediately afterwards and maintained his pants because that would have been no good. It was quite a week for Kermit. He backed his players just like he should have following them kneeling to protest that pro-Confederacy idiot demonstration in Oxford on Saturday afternoon. You're entitled to your opinion. I'm also entitled to call you an idiot for your opinion. He got it right on this one, and those kids did what they needed to do. His team has played better than anyone expected, and as fiery and demanding a guy as he can be, dude can coach. I think we already know that here in Middle Tennessee. But Rick Barnes' team got an important road win reminding them they can win on the road, but we all know what was to come, and that's what's going to happen tomorrow in Knoxville. Tip at one, again, Vault Network coverage right here on The Zone. You'll be able to hear Bob Kessling and Burt Bertelkamp and the crew. It wasn't too impressive a win on the scoreboard, but it was a really raucous crowd in Oxford. It was an Ole Miss team that shot the ball well from the perimeter, almost too well. Some of those threes were ridiculous. And they again appeared to be on another athletic level from the Vols. That's been something I've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. And that's only, of course, going to be a bigger problem tomorrow against the Cats, who they might have been gifted a bit of a victory over Arkansas earlier this week. There was a refrain all over social media after the end of that game calling the referees the rupperies. That's nothing new. There's a non-called elbow from Tyler Hero late in the game. There were some other questionable calls. Let's be real, though. SEC officiating has been an abject disaster of a failure of a dumpster fire this season. Somebody asked me earlier this week how we could make this better. I really have no answer to that question, folks. Maybe these guys are not the best guys to be doing this job. I have no idea. Look, human error is one thing. But repeated issues, and not just for one team, for all the teams. Like, it's been bad across the board this year repeated issues where we can spot mistakes being made in real time that then require these flow erasing seconds on monitor reviews to try and get it right in Zapruder film, Jim Garrison shot by shot mode. These things are not ideal, but Tennessee still needs a signature win right about now. Ole Miss, I don't think qualifies. I mean, I guess they need a signature win. What they need to do tomorrow is step up and punch back against Kentucky. Because just based on Admiral Schofield commenting a few days ago that he hopes they aren't, quote, intimidated again 
by P.J. Washington tells me something, and I'll bet it tells you something as well. Even though there's a chorus that's been here all season of, oh, this Vols team, it's a veteran team. They're not going to get shook. They're not going to get rattled, and they're not going to panic. Even Jay Billis said that during the Kentucky matchup a couple of weeks ago. That's been echoing all season long whenever the games have been tight or even as like talking points 20 seconds after the opening tip. This team is veteran. They're not going to get shook. They're not going to get rattled. But Admiral talking about P.J. Washington and intimidated and bullied around, he kind of let slip a different truth. They got shook. They got rattled. They panicked. And, in fact, I would say they remained afraid right through LSU or played timidly at least, and even at Ole Miss. That Kentucky game seemingly made them question themselves. This is my speculation. This is just my observation. They may tell me I'm wrong, but nothing in this world is worse for you personally than having your confidence and your security snatched away from you. Think about this. Have you ever been lost in your own thoughts? Maybe it's late at night. Who knows? Just a bad day. You're just lost in your own thoughts. You're in worst-case scenario mode. And you just want nothing more than to hear a few right words to shut down the circle of worry that you find yourself stuck in. We've all been there. That is a rhetorical question. We know Tennessee is talented. We know they're better than they looked in Lexington. But there were fundamentals that failed them defensively against LSU that to me were more indicative of a team that was at least beginning to see the blemishes on their skin rather than the armor that's protecting it. Their comfort zone was stolen away from them in that game. And I so often mention this particular sporting memory when I talk about things like this. I so often go back to this Magic Rockets game one in the NBA Finals in the 90s where Orlando would ultimately be swept by Houston in the NBA Finals. In game one, they had it. They meaning the Magic. Nick Anderson steps up. He misses two free throws really late in that game. They get the rebound, though, and he gets two more immediately, and he misses those. So he misses four in a row. He never recovered from this. He was never the same player again. He wasn't even in the league very much longer after this. Kenny Smith hits a three, sends that game to overtime, and then Houston actually wins, and then the Magic gets shook. Shaquille O'Neal has talked many times about his mentality after that loss to the Rockets and what he and his teammates began thinking. Now, keep in mind, this is Shaq. As strong as he was, as big an ego as he had even then, he has said a few things through the years in interviews that have stuck with me, but this one, after that loss, he wavered in his confidence. He thought, and this is his quote, oh, maybe we're not as good as we thought we were. Can we do this? Well, they got swept. And that's why tomorrow is such a big deal. Even if Tennessee's not going to win the SEC, making their tournament road tougher, number one seed in the NCAA tournament, less and less like a possible reality, the Vols need something that restores their own belief in the positivity, in the potential that we all sat here and raved about for months when they were on that winning streak and it seemed like they might not lose ever again. They need this one for their own psyche. Even if they can't win it, they have got to show up and they've got to show out. They've got to play physical. 
and they can't sit there and be content to throw jabs. This has to be the haymakers. This has to be the uppercuts. Every shot Kentucky sends at them, there's got to be a counterpunch that actually connects. Tennessee's physicality has dropped in the past couple of weeks. And there were stories of other teams sending footage to the SEC to show how the Vols were getting away with some fouling and some brutality down low, and then Tennessee began to soften a bit. That's got to stop. Folks, they've got to go with what brought them to the dance. I said this on Monday's show. This team doesn't have the raw talent of the one-and-done factories and the McDonald's All-American repositories. So Admiral Schofield needs to play like he lifts in the gym. And Grant Williams needs to muscle guys around when he can. And these guys have got to go back to being dogs, straight-up wolves on the basketball court, guys that make the opponents roll their eyes and sigh, thinking to themselves, oh, my gosh, do we have to deal with this for 40 minutes? I'm talking Nolan Richardson-style stuff here. This team is not going to win with finesse. It's not going to be particularly pretty. And when they try to win with finesse, they're going to lose. And they've proven that they will lose. Rick Barnes needs to dare the officials to blow whistles against him. If you're going to go down, you better go down swinging, and you better go down swinging with heavy gloves aimed directly for the jaw of the opposition. So they played soft, and they played to Kentucky's advantage in Lexington. Allowing rebounds, allowing wide-open threes, giving too much space on the perimeter, taking desperate shots, and far too often then having to take the basketball out from underneath the opponent's goal after a made bucket. This time, they've got to force Calipari and the Wildcats to alter their game plan because of how physic, just how physically dominant Tennessee is, how relentlessly they're clawing for every loose ball, how they're making every second count. Because, folks, if Tennessee just shows up to play basketball tomorrow, Tennessee's going to get beat by double digits again. They don't have the talent to just show up and play basketball. They've got to show up knowing what this win could mean for them mentally as we near the postseason. The mental game can be more important than anything. Yeah, you got to make shots. you got to outscore the other team. You've got to have more points at the end of the game than they do on the scoreboard to get a victory. I get all this. But think about how tough a day it is for you when your mind is not right. In my case, just personally, if I don't wake up in the morning and go to my devotional time, if I let life in first, I pay for it every single time. My mind, when it's off, when it's wrong, it's like the pain of your wisdom teeth coming in and you don't understand why you're in such misery. It feels like such a small part of your body, but it wrecks every other part of you. What is it that I've said on this radio station for years to beat an Alabama, to beat the New England Patriots, to beat the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs, to beat those kind of dynastic teams? But in case of Alabama and Georgia, in the national title game particularly, the one that they had and then lost, it requires two things. Number one is to believe walking in the door that you can get the job done. And number two is when you're actually in position to do it. When you have a lead or you're close in the second half, you have to have true belief and faith that it's actually going to hold up and you're not going to lose it or blow it. 
And folks, it is a lot easier to say that in your life than to actually apply it. Believing you can finish the job even when you're halfway there is still tough when you're looking at a juggernaut. Nobody wants to play Kentucky right now because they're gelling and they have all these superstar players. This is just kind of the way it is. So tomorrow at Thompson Bowling Arena for the Vols, this is very much a gut check style of afternoon for this team. Are they up to the challenge? And we're going to know this time tomorrow. Hopefully it's not going to come down to the referees for once. Think about this. This is number four in the country versus number seven in the country. But right now it feels like number two in the country against like number 30 in the country. The confidence level is down for Vols fans, I think. It's certainly down across the national media towards the Tennessee team. Tomorrow is such an important psychological game and mental test for this Vols basketball team. We're all going to be watching. They need the win, yes, but they just need something to start feeling good about again down in Knoxville. And I'm talking about the ones wearing the uniforms, not the ones in the seats buying tickets. I'll be one of those tomorrow. But those guys in the uniforms need to start feeling good about themselves again and need to start seeing the positive potential that seems to have eluded them since they took that trip to Lexington. 615-737-1045 if you want to join us or you can tweet me at jmartzone. We roll along here on a Friday, Big 6, 104.5 The Zone. back. Happy Friday to you. This is the Big Six here on 104.5 Zone, brought to you by Renner's Warehouse. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. Our telephone number is 615-737-1045. Little Kurt Vile for you. He'll be at the Ryman on the 16th of March, which means I'll be at the Ryman on the 16th of March. Looking forward to it. So I talked about the Vols and just how important this game is going to be tomorrow from a mental standpoint more than anything else. They just need something to go right. Even if they're not able to get the job done, you just can't show up and get punked the way they did in Lexington. You have got to answer every shot with a shot. And I don't even mean just a basketball shot. I mean, you got to be physical. You've got to impose your will on them and not, it just, it was an ugly way for that game to go down. And they have not really looked the same since. The LSU game, their fundamentals failed them on the defensive end. Ole Miss, they easily could have lost that game, were able to hold on. I don't think many people are giving them much of a chance tomorrow, especially on the national landscape. So they just need to show up and remind themselves of the positive potential that they have and how they win, which is not playing finesse. It's playing like dogs. It's making it miserable for the opponent to have to deal with them for 40 minutes. It's being effective on the offensive end working for a good shot, not taking a desperation shot, not living and dying from the outside, and, and bullying teams around. And that's what Kentucky basically did to them the last time out. Let's talk to Mike in Nashville. He joins us first time on the Big Six. Mike, what's up? Enjoy the show. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sir. Uh, you mentioned that uh, game with uh, the Magic and Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at that game when I was down, obviously when I was in Orlando. But I think, wasn't it Robert Ory that sank that three-pointer pointer, not Kenny Smith? It was Kenny Smith that sent it to overtime. He, he did it at the top of the key. Robert Ory oh. had a shot in overtime. Oh, okay. Okay, because I know Ory was the guy that normally would, uh, 
it was that was almost his trademark to kill you with that three pointer. No, you're absolutely right. He did it to he did it to Sacramento when he was with the Lakers as well. I mean, that's that's yeah. generally what he was known to do. But yeah, just watching Nick Anderson clang those four free throws is one of the hardest things I've ever had to watch. And I don't think Nick Anderson ever missed four free throws in his life, even in grammar school. You know, um, no, I would say you're yeah. absolutely right. I'm sure that was an interesting game to have attended, though. I mean, it certainly changed history. I think if Orlando won that game, they might have won the whole series. Well, you know, they picked up Horace Grant as a free yes. agent prior to that season, and they took out the Bulls in Chicago yep. in Game Six. So uh, that was almost like the beginning of the end. But it, uh, it was one, right. One thing in Shaq's defense: when he got drafted out of LSU, he said that he wanted to be the next great uh, Laker. The center, mm-hmm. and of course, I was it Riley was a GM out there, and he cleared out everything but the kitchen sink to, uh, you know, to pay him. But uh, just to clarify, Sachs' situation on that or opinion on that, I don't think he he took a bad rap. I guess that's the bottom line. Yeah, well, he said, and thank you for the call, Mike. He had also said that he wishes he had never gone to L.A. The Magic didn't show him love, and the Magic fans kind of went after him a little bit in the press after that year. And Penny came in, and there were problems with the egos between the two of them. I'm sure he was happy to go to the Lakers, but he said he wished that he had been able to stay in Orlando and bring them a championship as well. So let's talk a little bit about Nick Foles. And I want to do it. I'm just going analogy heavy tonight, so bear with me here. I want you to think of the best day in your life. And I mean the one where everybody that was around you saw you at your absolute best. When your value was the highest that it could be in this world. And incidentally, I've got a platform and I feel compelled to tell you that your value is always at its highest in the eyes of the only one who matters. But I'm speaking temporarily here. The day you were feeling it, as the phrase goes. Now, I've argued after the NFC Championship game and other times that we can't make rules based on the worst case scenario. Regulations need to exist based on common occurrences. To balance playing fields, people are actually going to be using. And that's in whatever facet of life we're discussing at that time, not just sports, even though that's what we're doing here. But I'm going to argue something similar, but for a different reason. Just because you had a great day, just because you aced some crazy difficult test, doesn't mean you're never going to miss a question again. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get a C- minus or a D on an assignment, and it doesn't suddenly mean that you're going to become Albert Einstein. What it means is that there is potential inside you and that you're capable of quite a bit. That's how you were designed. But not everybody is made to be the starting center fielder for the New York Yankees. Not everybody is going to be that high-powered attorney. Some, some are going to be public defenders. And some are going to end up working pro bono cases for clients that can't even pay their legal fees that need representation. And your role is incredibly important there. Not every doctor is going to graduate from Duke or Vanderbilt or Johns Hopkins and end up in some high-paid gig. And, folks, not every radio host is going to end up with a regular time slot nationally speaking to 500 affiliates. This is not, I'm not saying this to kill your dreams. It's just that we're not all guaranteed to be the GOAT. There's one Jordan. There's one Tom Brady. There's one Wayne Gretzky. Only one guy every four years gets to call himself the president of the United States. The factors that can play into that sometimes aren't fair. Because I think we can all agree, do we really believe that the best singers in this country were all discovered on American Idol or on The Voice? Of course not. 
they had the right look or they were able to make it to auditions at the right time and they found a way to put it all together. But it's probably more likely the most beautiful voice in the country is probably somebody cleaning a floor somewhere that we end up stepping over on our own walks and never stop to think, I wonder what his gifts are. I wonder what her gifts are. But all this is to say that Philadelphia did not put the franchise tag on Nick Foles. They're going to allow him to test free agency. And it's not that this is an anti-vote of confidence for Nick Foles from the Eagles, or not exactly. It's what it should be. It's the Eagles saying, we're going with Carson Wentz, and we think it's best for Nick Foles to let him go try to find a home elsewhere. He is increasingly disappointed with being a backup quarterback and that being his status. And this is where we get back to my legal analogy from earlier. What is Nick Foles? Nick Foles is the public defender. He's a good one, but he's Jimmy McGill. He's not Howard Hamlin. And watch Better Call Saul if you haven't. He's a backup quarterback, and that sounds like a gigantic slight, but it really isn't. There are 32 guys that are starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Presumably, they're the 32 most talented guys doing this in the entire world, even if Uncle Rico might disagree. And then there's the second string guys, the backups. They're still among the 64 best universally recognized in the world. So what's expected of the second best? So while I was preparing for the show this afternoon, I was doing what I usually do, which is drinking my addiction. That's coffee, not alcohol. Over at Frothy Monkey here in town over on 12 South. And their house blend, it's excellent every time I have it. Totally consistent. And then they'll have some kind of a daily roast, something that's limited or maybe it's from another country. It's a risk, but you usually do it. So today I go with the daily roast instead of the 12 South, the Sumatra, and I was really satisfied with it. So what's the starting quarterback in the NFL? It's the Frothy Monkey 12 South roast, the reliable and tasty one that's always good, totally insistent, or... It's discovering that Sumatra roast that's so good that you're going to hand it the keys to your franchise. And then you buy the whole beans and you go home and try to make it your own. And that's what I did. And that's like finding Patrick Mahomes. Nick Foles, though, he's kind of like a diner cup. Sometimes it's going to be average. Sometimes it's going to really hit the spot. Like, you know, sometimes it's going to throw a couple of picks or look terrible against the Atlanta Falcons in the season opener. And sometimes it's going to beat Bill Belichick and Tom Brady in one of the best Super Bowls we've ever seen. But you do not pay a guy based on the best day of his life because it's stupid to assume that that guy is going to be able to duplicate that performance. But you might come back to me and say, well, Nick Foles did this against Chicago and beat the Bears this year in the playoffs. But did he, though? I mean, technically, yeah, but he was terrible for the vast majority of that game. He was outstanding in the fourth quarter when he had to be. That diner coffee, that diner cup might be just what you need, but ultimately you're still looking for that Sumatra or that 12 South blend at Frothy Monkey. Foles is a great backup quarterback. What are backup guys supposed to be capable of doing? They're supposed to be capable of winning a game for you when you need them to. That's one of the biggest concerns for the Tennessee Titans because of the inconsistent nature of Marcus Mariota's entire career. That's why Paul Kaharski at paulkaharski.com wrote on the website over the past few weeks about the backup search needing to be paramount for the Titans this offseason. He could not be more right. Blaine Gabbert is the awful cup of coffee that's either too watery or too strong and too bitter. 
He can win when everything else is perfect. Maybe the rest of the breakfast is good, but that coffee is garbage. You can't trust him, though. Nick Foles was the most beautiful of luxuries for Philadelphia. He was a safety blanket. But he was not the guy that was going to drive that bus. Wherever it is that he ends up, and if I'm Jacksonville in particular, I'm definitely kicking those tires. But he's going to be a backup placed in a starting job. He's going to win some games because he's talented. Of course he is. He's in the NFL. But he's not going to take you to the promised land. If he were that good, his situation would not be what it's been throughout his career. He's much more a 7-9 and nine quarterback than a 10-6 and six guy. And you know what? The caller gave me a great analogy. Nick Foles is Robert Ory. You were frightened to death when he got the ball with any space on the perimeter in the playoffs, but nobody's going to fear that guy in the po- until the postseason. And it's semi-irrational, really, to fear him ever. He's an average player. And look, I am rooting really hard for Nick Foles because he's incredibly easy to pull for. I'm just going to stick with what I've always said about him. He is a backup quarterback. And you know what? That is okay. He's not going to change the world for any team, whether it's Jacksonville, whether it's Miami, whether or not the Giants look at it, whether or not Washington tries to make it happen. Wherever he goes, he is not the savior. Nick Foles is a stopgap, and that's why Philadelphia let him go. 615-737-1045. Back in a moment with thoughts on Jason Witten living the booth and headed back to Dallas. Be right back on 104.5 The Zone. Six here on 104.5 The Zone rolling along. We'll mute math for you. I've been listening to a lot of these guys lately, especially their last two records. Vitals and Play Dead if you're looking for them. We are brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to helping homeowners become rent estate investors by renting their homes instead of selling. Renters Warehouse is the rent estate company. Big Six, I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone, 615-737-1045. So there's a question about Jason Witten leaving ESPN, leaving Monday Night Football, heading back to Dallas to play tight end for the Cowboys in a one-year, I think, $3.5 million deal. But the big question is not at all why he's headed back to the NFL to play tight end for the Cowboys. There is no question in his move away from television. If you've been watching ESPN over the past two days, you're now seeing some of the personalities say what they simply couldn't for the past year or so, half a year for sure, which is, Jason Witten really wasn't very good on TV. The Tony Romo experiment or even the larger Dallas Cowboys experiment in media is not infallible. Tony Romo, unreal. Troy Aikman, I like. Moose Johnston's been very good. There have been plenty of success stories to be found if you're looking. Michael Irvin's not really my cup of tea as an analyst, but he's definitely entertaining. Deion Sanders also. Jason Witten spoke in generalities in a job that needs specifics. He offered no real information we didn't already know. And by we, I mean anyone with even a modicum of understanding of football as a sport. He needed a soft landing out of that job because even if he was assuredly going to get just a little bit better, he wasn't necessarily going to get better enough that he would ever rise to be better than, well, he's not the worst. So bear with me here. There's an old story about the 90s late-night TV war that raged at NBC between Jay Leno and David Letterman as the choice had to be made who was going to take over for Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show. Now, Leno ends up getting the gig eventually, even though Carson reportedly backed Letterman, and 
a lot of others did as well. But one of the critiques of Jay Leno that was there before they gave him the job and even after a year as the permanent host was whether or not he'd ever get better at interviewing his guests. He wasn't really a host. He was a pure stand-up comic. He was better at his bits, his, his headlines and things like that. He was much better at working off his own talent than he was in a setting where he had to interview and be entertaining back and forth with guests sitting on a couch. Now, he would get better, but his interviewing skills were not ever going to make Howard Stern blush. He was never great at it. Not anywhere close, as a matter of fact. So back to Jason Witten, this is a football player, and it's a smart guy, but there are a lot of football players that are smart guys, but very few of them have the skill set to be truly effective in the booth. He might have been much better in the studio. We never got to see that. But there's one thing about this business, meaning media, and that is that just about everybody that doesn't do this for a living, or at least a large quantity of them, think that this job is super easy. They think that they could do this job in their sleep better than whomever is currently behind the microphone. In my case, right now it's me, and there are people right now listening to me and saying, ah, man, I could crush that job if I had it. That dude's no good. But let me tell you something. If given the chance, these people, a lot of them would sit behind the microphone and be told, all right, you're on, and then they'd freeze. It's a lot easier to tell yourself something in this world than it is to actually apply it, even if you know it's true. Hey, I can talk. I can talk about the Titans all day. I do it with my friends. We go to the restaurant. I've always got good takes on the Tennessee Titans. All right, bro. Show up. Talk for four hours a day or even one hour a day. Make it interesting and don't just continually repeat yourself. And look, I'm not saying people blessed enough to do what I do for a living are splitting the atom. We are not. But there's more to this gig than it appears. And we're all our own worst critics in most cases. I think maybe one out of 10 shows I do are even close to up to snuff. Jason Witten simply was not cut out for that role. Maybe if he had started on ESPN3 doing low-end college stuff or a much smaller scale, he would have been able to grow and he'd have found that right learning curve. But this dude was thrust off the NFL gridiron directly into the single most known and most important booth in the history of American sports, Monday Night Football. And he was placed with a college voice in Joe Tessitore that never to me sounds right doing an NFL game and a great studio analyst in Booger McFarlane, but a guy that wasn't necessarily comfortable in his role in the booth and that Booger Mobile was an awful idea. But here's the question that needs to be asked about Jason Witten on the 1st of March, 2019. Can he still play in the NFL? I mean, he wasn't really a beast in his final couple of years. He had the lowest average per reception of any tight end in the league. As long as he played, as consistent as he was, is he a Hall of Famer even at his best? I mean, he was reliable, but he never scared anybody. Now, Dak Prescott can use checkdowns to rely on, and maybe that's exactly what he's going to be able to provide. Or maybe he's just going to end up filling a roster spot that could have gone to a younger dude to develop somebody new. So what exactly is the end game here is the question that I'm asking myself. Witten's back for one year. One would think that's probably about it, right? At least on the field, maybe two. So back to the booth? I don't think so. This is about staying with the Cowboys organization because Jason Witten is going to end up coaching in the NFL. It's that simple. Does that mean he replaces Jason Garrett? Probably not. 
but he could easily begin at wide receivers coach or even Jerry Jones makes a way too soon maneuver and makes him offensive coordinator somehow. It's conceivable he could coach elsewhere, but he wants to be in Dallas if he's not in Knoxville. Those are the two places. And he's a lifer with the Cowboys. And Jerry Jones loves him. And that fan base loves him. And those last two clauses in that sentence I just said, that's basically all you really need to write your story as a part of the Cowboys organization. This was about finding a way for Jason Witten to exit stage left without being forced to exit stage left. He goes right back to the thing that he knows because the thing that he tried just didn't work. Sometimes you eat a new dish and it just doesn't work out for you. Sometimes you go out of your comfort zone and you listen to a band that your friends love and it just doesn't work out for you. Sometimes in my case, television critic, all right, yeah, I'll try American Horror Story out. Maybe not my cup of tea, but I'm going to try it out because I know it's going to be good. I tried it. Didn't like it. Recognize its quality. Also, I'm good. All right, cool. Not everything's going to work. Jason Witten in the booth didn't work. Maybe thought it was, maybe it was a good risk to try, but it didn't happen. And so he finds a way to softly get out of that gig and go back to what he wants to do, which is be around football on an intimate level rather than a media level. I think he's going to be a coach sooner rather than later. I don't think he's going to change anything for the Dallas Cowboys on the field. That's not what this is about, folks. Hopefully it works out for Jason Witten. Really likable guy. Same thing with Nick Foles. I've said some negative stuff about both those guys. Also rooting for both of those guys. We got one more segment. Pro and con to finish up the week next at 615-737-1045 if you want to join me or tweet me at jmartzone. Back in a flash here on 104.5 The Zone. segment tonight of the Big Six. I'm Jason Martin. A little Sonic Youth for you. Incinerate to take you home. Hopefully not incinerating you. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone 615-737-1045. Ryan A. Mudd behind the glass. Spin of the Dolls radio style for me tonight. Taking you to Fox Sports Radio for a half hour. Then to Vegas for some MRN coverage of the truck race. Tomorrow, Vol Network coverage. One o'clock tip. Tennessee hosting Kentucky. In Knoxville, huge game. We let off the show talking about it. If you missed part of this show, shame on you. Go ahead and download that podcast. Subscribe to it. Just search The Big Six with Jason Martin. Also, while you're there, search The Pop Six with Jason Martin. You can get both those and get the full archives. We just finished up a month on The Pop Six. So much fun. So rewarding to go back through friends for a month with Brad Willis, one of my close friends and one of the biggest friends fans I've ever met. We had an absolute blast doing that, and we finished it up by doing a 15-round friends character draft which is something that we're going to do every time we do one of these deep dives is an idea that uh, I did years ago on the first pop culture podcast I ever hosted with a great friend of mine, a stand-up comic in Greenville, South Carolina. We did it for 24 and we did it for lost. We're also going to be doing a deep dive of lost, but we got to take time because we got to go back and rewatch it. Still my favorite show of all time, but I did announce and tweet out at J zone last night, our next deep dive, which will begin here in the coming weeks. David Reed and Rhett Bryan are going to join me as we're going to go through The Office for about a month. And that's going to be a ton of fun. The U.S. version of The Office, even though I'm sure maybe we'll intersperse a little bit of the other content. But there are a ton of folks in this building that love that show. And so there could be some people popping in to put their two cents in as well. But it's a good reason to go subscribe through whatever your podcast catcher is of choice. Consume the show however you want it, whenever you want it. And... Just a programming note, if you happen to be out late on Saturday night, maybe you're downtown Broadway and you're driving at 2 a.m., I'll be on the air. 
I'll be on the air from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. Sunday morning. I'm headed to Knoxville for the game. Coming back probably four hours later, I'll be on the radio hosting for Jonas Knox on Fox Sports Radio. And you'll hear much of that program right here on 104.5 The Zone as well. To say I'm blessed would be a massive understatement. So pro and con, something I like, something I don't like. Pro first. Nothing surprised me more that it was not just good, but it, but really to me that it was all-time great more last year than Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. If you wanted to think maybe Black Panther was overrated in some respects, I mean, it was really good. But you would definitely think this one was underrated because you probably overlooked it, if you overlooked it. If you saw it, you know how good it is. And it's back in theaters after winning Best Animated Feature this year at the Academy Awards. It displaced the Pixar film. That's incredibly difficult to do, folks. It tells you all you really need to know about Spider-Man. Not since Rango in 2011 has a non-Disney or non-Pixar film won the award. Before that, it was Happy Feet in 2006. It's only been done five times this century, including Spider-Man. $90 million budget. It's now made over $350 million sequels on the way. And there's so much pretentious stuff out there that's attempting to be prolific. And instead, this movie just goes with really inventive visuals, has a great soundtrack, tons of good music. And then it tells a relatively simple story about a young boy finding himself and finding his calling, doing it through the trials and the challenges and the insecurities that can affect us all. A loving father, but a complicated guy, high expectations, but one that the son grew to respect and understand and the father grew to respect and understand the son but a good family unit and a story of perseverance, not a story of blame. It ends on a high note. There's a feel good stand up and cheer kind of moment. and leaves you wanting more. One of the three most entertaining things I saw last year, period. The other two, a star is born mission impossible fallout. Yes, I know Roma green book, not mentioned just now. I'm talking about entertaining first of all. And Roma is one of the more overrated things I have ever seen. Folks, it has a nearly five-minute opening establishing sequence focused entirely on water running over cobblestones. Spider-Man had a message, but it didn't beat it through your head, and the message is universal. And there was enough good humor mixed with it, and it had enough heavy content there to balance itself out. It's unassuming, and then it just knocks you backwards with its depth, but it doesn't overwhelm you. The aesthetics are great. It stands out in every good kind of way. The voice cast is exceptional. The characters are really varied. Super entertaining. Maybe one is a little bit too cartoonish. John Mulaney's pig, the Spider-Ham character, Peter Porker. But this is a rare movie that at 117 minutes, which is longer than most animated features, does not feel too long. And I am notorious for thinking things outlive their welcome and would be a lot better off shorter, but this is not one. It's not too short. It's just right. This is kind of the Goldilocks porridge you've been searching for. The fact it's back in theaters this weekend is why I'm mentioning it. You can get it on digital. It's going to be on Blu-ray in a couple of weeks, but this is a movie that deserves to be seen in a movie theater, loud and big. It's a great experience for the entire family. I tell you, go see it while you can. It's outstanding, and you might be thinking, man, this guy really likes this. It can't be that good. Go see it. I dare you. Then tell me at Jmart Zone. I promise you, I will not lead you astray in pop culture. It's all subjective, so you might not like everything that I put forth, but the last thing that I want to do at any point is waste your time or waste your money. So I love, and you talk about a pro of all pros, 
Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is incredible. Now for something I don't like as much. Aaron Sorkin is a pretty talented guy. One of my favorite culture writers in terms of script writers. He penned A Few Good Men, Malice, West Wing, Sports Night, and he was a creator and showrunner of HBO's The Newsroom, which ended a handful of years ago after three seasons. A few weeks back, rumors making the rounds, he was considered rebooting, bringing back the show for a fourth year. Sorkin then comes out and says, no truth to this not happening. My con here, what I don't like here, is not that Sorkin said it's false. It's that anybody actually wanted this crap to come back. Here's an article titled from Matt Priggy at Uproxx from the 18th of this month. Aaron Sorkin may be rebooting the newsroom to school us about news and the Trump age. Unfortunately, this is the problem with what Sorkin does. He himself is going to tell you anytime you attempt to corner him about his politics or his leanings, and we know where he is, that he's writing fiction. He's not trying to spin current events. He's not telling real stories. But what he's really doing is engaging in something called faction, where it's not true, but it's close enough to real events that people could take it at face value. Often they do, and there are very few gatekeepers out there that are going to stop that thought process once it's there. There is propaganda everywhere, but the newsroom was pedantic and obnoxious and stood in a pulpit and just bombarded the audience with bias. And the show itself outside of that really just wasn't very good. Like-minded people, the villains were anybody that didn't think like them. The actions and the words these people used were the West Wing if it had been insufferable. Storylines not good. Best scene, folks, in the entire three-season run of the newsroom on HBO was the first scene, the cold open in the pilot before the credits ran. So all these articles that were so excited this show was coming back, why exactly? I mean, Jeff Daniels was awesome. And, well, I mean, Jeff Daniels was awesome. The pro here is not that it's coming back. The con is that for some reason people thought it needed to. But that's the internet for you. Let's make you smarter on the way out the door. So every eye out there is on Zion Williamson's future, whether or not he's going to be the next face of the NBA. All Murray State's John Moran is doing is making history of his own. Triple-double last night, his second of the season, 11-10-10, but that does count. He's got three triple-doubles in his career. That's pretty rare. How rare? He's only one of nine Div- Division One players to post three in the past 20 seasons of NCAA men's college basketball, and that's in a career. One of nine, so pretty rare. That dude's going to be a top five pick, maybe top three. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless. Saying goodnight, Fox Sports Radio, and then a truck race coming up.